Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of your Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of the people of the house of Israel, all of us, know your name. Study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Genesis chapter 37, which, by the way, begins Parashah Vayeshev. Parashah Vayeshev. Jacob settled in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the chronicles of Yaakov, Yosef. We're going to come back to that. How many sons did, Yosef, did, did Yaakov have? Twelve. But it says, these are the chronicles of Jacob, Yosef. Why? Because everything that really matters about Jacob is found in Yosef. We're going to come back to that. Yosef, at the age of 17 years, was a shepherd with his brothers by the flock, but he was a youth with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. That means that he was closer to those kids than he was to Leah's sons. His father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, were his father's wives. Uh, and Joseph would bring evil reports about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons since he was a child of his old age and made him a fine woolen tunic. His brothers saw that it was he whom their father loved most of all, his brothers, so they hated him, and they could not speak to him peaceably. Joseph dreamt a dream which he told his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear, if you please, this dream which I dreamt. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the middle of the field, when, behold, my sheep arose and also remained standing. Then, behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheep. Now, I don't understand what they're mad about. They apparently had a sheaf on their shoulder. His brother said to him, would you then reign over us? Would you then dominate us? And they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his talk. He dreamt another dream and related it to his brothers and said, look, I dreamt another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, 11 stars are bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and to his brothers. His father scolded him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamt? Are we to come, I and your mother? By the way, remember, she's passed away. I and your mother and your brothers to bow down before you to the ground. So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, as we read the story of Joseph, I need you to do something for me. I need you to think of Joseph as the Mashiach. Because he is, in fact, not him literally in the story, but this is what Hashem wants us to see because the first Mashiach who came to die for our sins is Mashiach ben Yosef. This is why it's not a coincidence that literally Yeshua's name was Yeshua ben Yosef. God chose that his father on the earth would be named Yosef. And it's not coincidental that his mother's name was Miriam. Why? Because the well that followed us around the wilderness whereby we got our water was called the well of Miriam. And we know that Yeshua is the wellspring of living water. So he is Yeshua ben 
Yosef ben Miriam. This is on purpose God did this. So when we read this story, you need to understand that Yosef is synonymous with the Mashiach. And as you read this story, if you'll understand that, then you'll understand the gospel message. I also need you to pay attention to the fact what we just read, that his brothers and his father all reject his message. So when you say, well, so because I've had Jewish rabbis, obviously, tell me this. Like, how can you believe? They look at me and they're like, okay, you know. This is awesome what you're doing in a way, but in another way, how can you believe in this guy? Because all of Judaism rejects him. So how can you be a Jew, be a rabbi, be from, be observant, everything is great, except for the fact that you believe in this guy. How can you believe in him? No, no other Jews don't believe in him. And my response is, that well, Jacob and his sons didn't believe in Yosef either. Everybody rejected him. What ended up happening, they all knelt to him. So just because you say we all reject him doesn't mean he's not the guy because we've already been shown in, in the Torah that that's never a good position to take. <laughs> also, when he says, well, do you expect you and your mother that I, we should come bow to you? Remember, Yosef is the Mashiach. The answer that is actually yes. Notice Yosef never denies it. Why? Because the resurrected mother will bow to the Mashiach at some point. Why? Because every knee that will bow. That means when we say that, we often think, well, everybody who's alive. No, every knee. That means every knee that was ever created will bow. Which means that all the resurrected souls, some unfortunately will go to Gehenna. That's their choice. But every knee that has ever been created from the time of Adam until the time who knows when, every knee will bow to Mashiach. So better to start early. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks in Shechem. Notice Shechem. We keep revolving around Shechem. The, the tabernacle ends up in Shechem. You know that. And where does, where does Joseph end up being buried? Shechem. So he goes to Shechem. He ends up being buried in the very place that he was betrayed. Which means that he's going to be resurrected in the very place that he was betrayed. Remember, Joseph is Mashiach. Mashiach went where? To Yerushalayim. That's where he was buried. That's where he was resurrected. The very place he was betrayed. Joseph had to go to Shechem. And Israel said to Yosef, your brothers are pastoring in Shechem. Are they not? By the way, the tabernacle was in Shechem. Where was the temple? Yerushalayim. So Mashiach ben Yosef had to go to Shechem to redeem the tabernacle. Mashiach ben David had to go to Jerusalem to redeem the temple. The reason why the two are buried in these different places. And Israel said to Yosef, your brothers are pastoring in Shechem. Are they not? Come, I will send you to them. Now, Yaakov knows his brothers don't like his, or the brothers don't like the son. So the father purposely sends the son to the other sons, knowing the other sons hate him. God did it on purpose. I mean, Jacob did it on purpose. Why? Because we're going to find out in the comments, if I can get to them, that... This was all necessary for the redemption of the world. Literally and spiritually. Because Joseph... Pardon me. Sorry. I got excited. 
Yosef is called in the Midrash Rabbah, <coughs> literally, he's called the Savior of the world. Why? Because at that time, Egypt basically was the empire that owned the whole world. So everybody that was anybody had to come to Egypt to get food during the famine. And so he was literally called the Savior of the world. So quite literally, all this had to happen. Had this not happened, there would be no salvation of the world. <clears throat> and the rabbis point out, had this not happened, had the Jewish people, the brothers, not portrayed, betrayed Yosef, then they would not have been saved from the famine. So there's spiritual pictures here. So it says, and Israel said to Yosef, your brothers pastoring in Shechem, are they not? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. And he said, now, again, we may not get to chapter 38. <clears throat> he said, here I am. What did the Mashiach say? Mashiach says in the Midrash, he says, God says, I'm going to send you to, your, to the people that, to save them, but you're going to be betrayed. You'll be executed, be killed, be tortured. You're going to be, it's not going to work out well. What do you say to that? Mashiach responded, Hineni, here I am. So, Yosef says the same thing. I'm going to go send you your brothers. Yosef knew, Yosef's not stupid. Yosef knows his brothers hate his guts. But he's willing to go to them anyway. So it says that he said to them, go now, look in the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring back a word. So he sent him to the depth of Hebron, and he arrived at Shechem. And a man discovered him. Behold, he was blundering in the field. The man asked him, saying, what do you seek? Now, this is mysterious because um, this man was not, in fact, a man. This was, in fact, an angel that Hashem had sent, and it's most likely Memtet. Says the man was saying, you asked about your brothers, but they've gone away from any feelings of brotherhood. Instead, they've gone to Dothan. And the word Dothan means dot or law, means they are seeking a legal grounds to put you to death. Now, isn't that exactly what happened in Yeshua's time? Didn't the, didn't the leaders get together and sought a reason, a legal reason to put him to death? And that's what the brothers did. The brothers got together and they said, this guy, if we don't stop him, the whole world will go after him. If we don't stop him, he'll become the ruler over us. If we don't stop him, it's all jealousy. The brothers hated him based on jealousy. What does the scripture tell us? The scripture tells us that the father uh, wasn't very smart because the father let it be known that this was his favorite son. The rabbis forbid that because of this story. And then Jacob, you know, or excuse me, Yosef uh, decided to share his dreams. But the, the brothers, it says, they, the brothers hated him ultimately because the father loved him. That's really the reason. And they hated him because he got the coat of many colors. There's a, some opinions about that, but we'll come back to that. So it says, what do you seek? And he says, my brothers do I seek. Tell me, please, where are they pastoring? And the man said, they've journeyed on from here, for I heard them saying, let's go to Dothan. So Yosef went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. It never occurred to Yosef that, you know, you found this guy wandering around in the middle of the desert. Hi, hi. What are you looking for, my brothers? They were over there. Who are you, by the way? <laughs> what are you doing out here? You know, it's like Monahans. <laughs> Someone says, I don't, 
Uh, Monahan's, where's that? Exactly. <laughs> no one knows. Um, he says, uh, they saw him from afar, and when he had not yet approached them, they conspired against to kill him. And they said to one another, look, that dreamer is coming. So now come and let us kill him. Come, let us kill him. Come, let us kill him. I mean, that's the carol they were singing. And they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming, so now let's come kill him and throw him into the pit. And we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then we shall see what will become of his dreams. Reuben heard, and he rescued him from their hand. He said, we will not strike him mortally. Now, this is big time for Reuben. Why? Because Reuben was the firstborn of who? Leah. Reuben lost his firstborn status, so the firstborn status, he's got four wives now. You've got Leah, Zilpah, Bilhah, and Rachel. But Zilpah and Bilhah are technically, they're wives, but they're, they're concubines, so they're a half step down. So the next full wife is Rachel. So now... When he lost his firstborn status, you'd say, well, it should go to the next in line, right? No. It now goes over to the next wife, her firstborn son, in this case, Yosef. Okay? Not Simeon, not Levi, not Judah, but Yosef. Now, so now Reuben steps up and goes to bat, says, let's not kill him. This is big time because he has the most to be hateful about. Because this kid took his firstborn place. Reuben could have said, yeah, kill him. But he did not, which means, which makes rather Reuben the quintessential symbol of teshuva. The quintessential person of teshuva. This is the rabbis recognize Reuben as somebody who makes repentance and who accepts his position with humility. And by the way, because sometimes we get mad at God for not doing things. Oh, God, I wish I was this. I wish I was that. How come they get to do it and I don't get this? Why, God, why? And God says, Reuben, you want to be firstborn. Yeah, it's my rightful place. You don't want Yosef to have it. No, I don't want to be used to the habit. That's not right. It's, I deserve it. Do you? Yes. Okay. You're going to be sold into slavery, be tortured and thrown into prison for a couple of decades, away from your family. It's going to be a life of hell and misery, but it's to save the world. Oh, is that right? Yes. Let Joseph have it. <laughs> Sometimes we don't realize that God takes it from us and gives it to somebody else because... We're not meant to do that part. We're not meant to have that suffering. Something else that I was reading today, by the way, just this morning, was just another insight about how the righteous are not given any, any shalom in this world. That's a little, it's not that we're not giving any shalom in this world, but the point is, is that we should not seek, the righteous should not seek to live lives of luxury and constant vacation in this world. Why? Because the righteous have for all eternity before us a life of paradise and constant vacation in, in the Olam Haba. 
So when you look around and you see people that are super wealthy, the reason that God chooses people to be super wealthy is supposed to be because, A, they can handle it. Maybe I can't handle a billion dollars. Test me, O oh Lord, and let me see. <laughs> but they're supposed to distribute the wealth, not the government distribute the person. Hello, don't get confused. You say the government's supposed to do, not some of the Bible says, so you the person's supposed to. It's so easy to spend other people's money. That's what the government does. You say, well, the government's going to pay for it. Where do they get the money? The government doesn't have any money. The government doesn't make any money. You realize that, right? They take it from you and give it to somebody else. But I don't want to get into that because I keep my opinions to myself normally, so. So about the wealthy, so the, you look at the wealthy and you're like, look at them. They got their big luxury yachts. They got their big luxury planes. Every day it's, it's caviar and champagne. It's always the finest of the finest, the finest clothes, the finest everything. You ever notice how many wealthy people are uh, absolutely miserable? How many people, and especially Hollywood celebrities, they got everything. They got the car. They got everything. They got 20 cars. They kill themselves. You can't, find, you can't rub two nickels together. You're worried about paying your car bill, but you never thought about hanging yourself. So it's funny. You know, you look at that and you think, but, but here's the point. Don't desire that. Why? Because here's the possibility. It's not always true. I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush. It's always the case. But here's the possibility. The possibility is they're enjoying all that luxury in this life for, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years. And then it's over. And you think to yourself, well, I don't have, I'm not driving around in an Escalade. I don't have a yacht. I'm not cursed with wealth. But in the Olam Haba, for thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, we'll have all that. I take that exchange. They sat to eat food. They raised their eyes and saw, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead, their camels bearing spices, balsam, and lotus. And they're on their way to bring them down to Mitzrayim, to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What gain will, be there, will there be if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us send it to the Ishmaelites. But let our hands not be upon him, for he is our brother of our own flesh. His brothers agreed. Midianite men, traders, passed by, and they drew Joseph up. Lifted him out of the pit, sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Then they brought Joseph to Egypt. Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he rent his garments, returning to his brothers. And he said, the boy is gone. By the way, they, 20 pieces of silver was equal to five shekels, which is why we have the redemption of the firstborn today. Every time a couple redeems their firstborn son, it's always the sages bring down. This is always to make the shuva for the cell of the firstborn Yosef. So think, think about that. People say, why do we need the Mashiach if we have the Torah? Why do we need the Mashiach? There's many, many reasons. There's the original sin of the serpent. There's the, the sin of the golden calf, which has never been forgiven. And if you think about it, we're still redeeming, receiving, we're still having the Pidyon Habin, which is the redemption of the firstborn, even to this day. 
which means we're still trying to make up for Yosef, which means we can't make up for Yosef, which means we need the Mashiach. You understand what I just said? That the children of Israel are still guilty for selling Yosef. Which is why we need Mashiach. They took Yosef's tunic. That's, the, that's the, the famous coat of many colors. They slaughtered a goatling and they dipped the tunic in blood. This is why it says when Mashiach returns, he'll be wearing a vesture dipped in blood. They dispatched the fine woolen tunic and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Identify if you please. Is it your son's tunic or not? He recognized it and said, My son's tunic, a savage beast devoured him. Yosef has surely been torn to bits. Then Yaakov rent his garments, placed sackcloth in his loins. He mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to comfort himself and said, For I will go down to the grave mourning for my son. And his father bewailed him. Now the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, courtier of Pharaoh, the chamberlain of the butchers. I'm going to stop there for the sake of time. I'm not going to read chapter 38. We'll come back to that late 38 later. Let me share some more insights here. By the way, notice that the sons have no love for the father in reality. That's something else. They see their father mourning. They know the truth. They see him in utter, utter emotional pain. He's totally distraught, and they don't even care. They're more concerned about their position. They're more concerned about not wanting to bow down to Yosef than they are in complying with the father's wishes. Let that sink in. Let that be a statement. Remember, Yosef is Mashiach. Always keep that in mind. We're watching the picture unfold here. We're more concerned with our status and our position and what we might have lost if we bow down to this person than we are concerned about the Father. doesn't make us any difference. As long as we're not having to bow down to Yosef, who cares? Isn't it interesting that the brothers were willing to bow down to any other brother except him? That's why today in Israel you say, well, this doesn't, it's not fair. There's lots of Orthodox sects in Israel, and they have different Mashiachim. Why we're not accepted and Chabad accepted? Why we're not accepted, Breslov accepted? Why we're not accepted, Knock Knock accepted? Why, why, why? The answer is they're willing to bow down to anybody. Just find a rock, Moshe. Any rock, but not the rock. Just find a rock. Why? Because the rock comes with responsibility. If I can make my own Mashiach, then he can have my own, he can have my thinking. He'll he'll follow my halacha. He'll dress like me. In effect, what I've done is I've cast a graven image. If I can find any rock, then I don't have any responsibility to the rock because I created it. I called it, I brought it forth. It can be a man like me. Why? Well, I can't have a divine Mashiach, then that makes me lesser. So it says, I covered no rest for the righteous. It says, these are the chronicles of Yaakov. Yosef is the chronicles of Yaakov. These are the chronicles of Jacob, Yosef. 
It says here in Rabbi Monk, the Midrash explains that the Torah wanted to make the history of Jacob dependent on that of Yosef for many reasons. <clears throat> Indeed, the whole history of Jacob's descendants is reflected in Yosef's life. The favorite son of the patriarch in the prime of his youth was compelled to flee from the, house, the home of his parents and the land of his birth. Get this. The favorite son of the father was forced to leave his home and in, in the place of his birth. He was abandoned in a foreign land among a debauched people. And listen to this. And they did all that they could to even erase his name and cause it to become forgotten. Isn't that what they say about the Mashiach? They call him by a derogatory name that means may his name be erased. So let me get this straight. The brothers along with the people of Mitzrayim, did everything they could to make sure that the name of the Mashiach is erased. How did the brothers do it? The brothers called him by a derogatory name. They called him this dreamer. Today in Israel, do you understand that in Judaism, you can't get a Jew to say Yeshua? They'll call him JC. They'll call him this guy. They'll call him some derogatory name. But I've only had one rabbi to me in private in his office actually say Yeshua. Why? Because they all know that's his name. And they know it's a valid name. And they're trying to erase it. Because they don't want it to be true. That's why you can't, that's why you're like, you're talking to Jewish people and they say, you believe in Jesus. They say, I don't believe in Jesus, I believe in Yeshua. And there is a difference. And they say, no, you believe in Jesus. Like, you know, I, I, I sound like, like, why do you keep saying that? I've already told you I don't believe in that name. I believe in another name. And you, you're now forced, you're now projecting your belief on me. Do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> they get angry. How do the Gentiles do it? Jesus. Yeshua is hard to say. You can't say it. You realize that uh, there's different um, uh, characters in other religions that are supposed to be like Mashiach-like figures. Like you have Muhammad, you have Hare Krishna, you have Buddha, this and what. We don't change our name in any language. Muhammad is Muhammad in French. Muhammad is Muhammad in Arabic. Muhammad is Muhammad in English. We don't change it for any. The only name we translate is the name of the actual Mashiach. Think about it. Prove me wrong. Why? Trying to erase it. That's the point. If I can change it. You say, well, Jesus is the translation of Yeshua. No, it's not. If you want to say Yeshua in English, you actually would say Joshua. Jesus is nothing. It's like a nothing name. It's like totally made up. Has nothing. You say, well, someone say, well, it's actually from the Greek. No, Jesus is from the Greek. Jesus is nothing. You realize gee, the name Jesus didn't even exist it literally did not exist until the 1500s. Literally did not exist. Now you're going to try to tell me it means something? You say, well, why are you, fan why are you so fanatic? Like Ms. Rocky, why are you so fanatic? <laughs> I'm not fanatic. My point is simply this, that just like the name of Yosef, we're trying to erase it. 
There's a reason why. You say, well, Rabbi, I used to be a Christian, and a lot of good things happened to me under that name. Great, that's called mercy and grace. But now that you know, you can't keep using it. Because once it was revealed that his name was Abraham and not the other name, you can't go back and use the other name now. It's forbidden. You say, well, the other name, good things happen. Yeah, but that was before the change happened, so... So it says, and ultimately it came to pass. Listen to this. They tried to erase his name, but what happened to him? All the trials and all the tribulations of of his destiny were turned into a springboard for his ascent. He became a benefactor who gave food to people. What did Yeshua say? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He wasn't being literal. But what did he ultimately do? What did he say about himself? He said, I'm the man that come from heaven. What does this mean? Yosef fed people, right? Yeshua feeds people. Ultimately, that's what, what did he say to, to Kepha? He said, Kepha, do you love me? He said, I know, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I, do you love me? Stop asking me. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. That's what he said. Why? Because Yosef feeds his sheep. But what happened? It says here, Rabbi Monk, and I quote, And it ultimately came to pass that his brothers who had sworn to do away with him came to kneel before him. You can try to erase his name all day long. You can try to change it and make it something different. But you will eventually come and kneel before Yeshua. It says this same destiny. Listen to what Rabbi Monk says. Rabbi Monk, Orthodox Rabbi. This same destiny will one day come to pass in the life of Jewry. Somebody at home was taking a sip of coffee. Let me, let me read this again. <laughs> it says, And it ultimately came to pass that his brothers who had sworn to do away with him came to kneel before him. This same destiny will one day come to pass in the life of Jewry. The rabbi is prophesying, who, by the way, is from France, so there's that. But he's, <laughs> he's prophesying that Jews are going to one day kneel before someone they tried to get rid of. Did you hear what he said? One day we're all going to kneel before somebody whose name we tried to erase. We're all going to bow down and proclaim you're the Mashiach to somebody who said you will never be the Mashiach of us. That is what the rabbi is saying. And most people don't even understand it. They don't even get it. So, a lot could be said about the fact that that uh, Jacob favored Yosef and let that be known. And uh, that probably wasn't the smartest thing. Said they hated him. We'll come back to that in a second. The Zohar gives another reason about this this issue related to uh, Yosef being loved. It says, Jacob loved Rachel 
and her son Joseph, and he knew that Rachel's children will be instrumental in mankind's final redemption in Messianic times. The text discreetly hints at this reason when it designates the patriarch here as Israel. It was indeed as father of the nation giving the Messianic calling that Jacob cherished Yosef. In other words, he cherished Yosef because it was Israel, out of Israel would come the Mashiach. So it says here, the coat of many colors, there's things about the coat that, that, um, that Jacob had, there's people who believe that Jacob had made it because the text says he made him a coat. There's another insight that believes that the coat actually was the coat that God had made Adam, that Jacob had worn when he deceived his father, and that he had given that coat to his son, Yosef. And this is why the children hated him, the brothers hated him, because that was a coat of authority. Like that coat went to the king. So it says, the Zohar says about them hating him, it says, the Zohar gives a view which differs from that of the Talmud which says, according to which Jacob was guilty of showing preference to his sons, the Zohar recalls that God himself openly proclaims his affection for Jacob Israel at the expense of Esau and declares it formally through the prophet Malachi and others. And so, too, the three patriarchs openly show their love for one of their children, not caring about the feelings of hostility that might come up <clears throat> because true love is given completely, when it clings to the idea of goodness and, ju and justice. In this way, it says, knowing that uh, if the patriarchs showed their fatherly love to one of their children, it was on the one in whom they recognized to be the true guardian of the spiritual heritage. In other words, it's pointing out here that it was okay, in fact, <coughs> as the Zohar is saying, for Jacob to say, I love him more than all of you, because God himself had said to the patriarchs, I love Jacob and not Esau. Why? Why did he love Jacob and not Esau? Because Esau was hairy? No. But because he knew that Jacob was going to carry on the mission, the heritage. And Yeshua, God said, that according to Yeshua, he said, this is my son in whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. He made the same declaration. Why? Because he knew that everything was going to come down. The culmination of everything was going to come down to Yeshua. And listen, don't think for a minute that there's not a lot of rabbis, even to this day, jockeying for that position. Do you think, do you really think, it just we deal with humans, right? We're all human here, right? If you're not human, raise your hand. You really think like the chief rabbi of Israel is going to be super thrilled when the Mashiach shows up? And by the way, he's not from his sect. And by the way, he, dis, he, he disagrees with some of the rulings the chief rabbis made. I'm just saying hypothetically. You think that the chief, the chief rabbi of Israel, Mashiach comes, he's from another, Mashiach comes, he's, he's modern orthodox. The chief rabbi is like, oh, great, <laughs> this is great. I willingly hand you my scepter. Yeah, right. 
You say, well, I know so-and-so, and he's very humble. Okay, great. That's great you know such a person. Most people are not like that. So it says, it is interesting to note, talking about this correlation that everything is in Yosef, it's interesting to note <coughs> that the name Yosef and the name Z Zion have the same numerical value of 156. Yosef and Zion have the same gematria. Now, when I read that, I thought, that's interesting, because I remembered the, the fishes that were brought into the boat. That's an interesting story. Yeshua says, you know, go out there a little ways and throw your net on the side. And Cephas says, we've been fishing all night. And he's like, I know, but just do it anyway. And he throws the fish, throws, throws it up there. And you read that story in Luke chapter 5, and it seems like it just kind of, he just kind of does it out of nowhere. Like, hey, this is a nice time to pull a rabbit out of that. Y'all want to see a trick? Y'all want to see a trick, kids? Yeah. Kepha, go out in the water. I mean, it's like, why did you do this? Everything comes back to this story. It was, ended up being 153 fish. You say, well, it's 153, but it's not 156. That's true, except for the fact that Peter and Jacob and John, the sons of Zebedee, were in the boat. So that's 156. <laughs> it's just... It's just like, you say, why did Yeshua do that? Why did he have them go out to sea and just to say, hey, catch the fish? And what did he say to him? They were like amazed. And Kepha, being such a Zodic, said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And he says, that's okay. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Why? Because I'm Yosef Zion. That's 156. 153 fish, three men, 156, fishers of men. I'm just showing you a picture here that that's what this is all about. So, a couple more thoughts here. Uh, golly, oh, yeah, we're okay. <clears throat> it says here, why would Jacob send out his son to meet his brothers when he knows he's going to, um, they're going to harm him, most likely. They could. It's dangerous. And more importantly, why would Yosef say, here I am, like I'm willing to go into that danger? Because that's generally contrary to popular Jewish thought. So it says here, simply obeying the wish of his father, those who go to perform a mitzvah, can come, there can come no harm. Pesachim 8b. So if you're going to do a mitzvah, there's not supposed to be any harm to you. But yet he's going to perform a mitzvah and there's going to be harm to him. So how, how do we reconcile this? The answer is given by Rabbi Haim ben Otter that says, but when, but then rather, how could we have been, he been sold into slavery and on with his mission? The answer is that harm, which ultimately turns out to be for great benefit, is considered not to be harm at all. So you say, well, Yeshua was turned over and there was great harm done to him, but if it, that's a, he was doing a mitzvah, so how could it be? Well, in the end result will be that the entire universe will be saved. Therefore, that is considered to not be harm at all, but actually to be good. This is the same concept that says that when you, when you repent and repent sincerely, that your sins can actually be turned into merits. Why else did uh, Yaakov love Yosef so much? <clears throat> and the reason is 
that he was the son of his, of his old age, the son of his, it says, uh, Zakin, ben Zakanim, the child of old age. The sages say that um, somebody who is married, a man who's married, and let's say that, you know, his wife, God forbid, dies, and he's a little bit older now, so he can marry somebody else, that he should not be scared to have more children, even though he's older. Why? Because it says you're not sure if the children of your old age end up better than the children of your younger age. All the men were like, thanks. Thanks for that. So he, it goes on to say here that Yosef was a scholar, so he taught Yosef, and Yosef absorbed the information. But really, one of the reasons why he loved Yosef so much is that, according to the sages, Yosef was the spitting image of his father, which, if we follow what we've learned thus far, Yosef looked like Jacob, Jacob looked like Isaac, Isaac looked like Abraham, Abraham looked like Adam, Adam looked like God. So in, if we follow the chain, what it really means is that the image of the father, in this case, God the father, was betrayed by the brothers and sold into slavery. Now think about this. Now, here you have uh, Yosef, who looks like Jacob. And when the brothers come to him, when we get into the story, the brothers come to him in Egypt, they're looking at an image of the father, but they don't recognize him. And didn't Yeshua say, how can you say, what's a father look like when you're looking at me? But it's your heart. The reason you don't recognize him is your heart's wrong. He looks like Jacob. You don't, don't, don't you think, I mean, you ever seen those shows like the old Superman TV show? And, he, you know, here's Superman, you know, Clark Kent. He's got his glasses on. All of a sudden, he takes his glasses off. He's Superman. And they're like, oh, wow, have you seen Clark? It's like, come on, man. It's his. <laughs> really? I mean, I've never taken my glasses off, walked in my house, and my family said, who are you? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, oh, hey, oh, it's you. I was done. Oh, woo, woo. We thought somebody were being, you know, carjacked or something around here. How could you not recognize your own father when you're standing in front of him? But this is another pattern of Yeshua. This is what happened. Now, two more things. Got, got time for two more things? What else are you going to do, right? I mean. The Midrash Bob brings down in Midrash Bob Bamid Bar 13. So the, the big question is, why did this all have to happen? Why did they have to betray Yosef? Why did we have to betray the Mashiach? Why? I mean, it doesn't make sense. When the Mashiach comes, we should have accepted him and just been, it's been, this has been awesome. But the sages teach a very valuable precept which helps us to understand Acts chapter 10. That when the Mashiach comes, the gates to conversion is closed. So all these people who aren't Jews, God wants them to become Jews. But when Mashiach comes, that, that opportunity is gone. This is why Kepha did not want to go talk to the Gentiles. Because he never preached to the Gentiles in 15 years, never gave a sermon to the Gentiles. Fifteen years after the resurrection, never, never, never passed out any Jerusalem road tracks. 
Why? Because as far as Kepha was concerned, the Mashiach's come. That door is closed. Mashiach had to show up and say, the door is not closed. Because there's another coming. That was just the first round. So it says here, the Midrash Rabbah says, Yosef's sale turned out to be the starting point for a great benefit. By the way, Messianic Judaism is out there, totally got the wrong mission. Totally confused. They think their mission is to get Israel saved. That, that's not the gate that's open right now. That's why, they, that's why they've, been, they've had zero success. You say, no, I know a lot of Jews have become Christians. No, what you know is a lot of people that weren't living in covenant with God who were by blood Jewish but not in covenant with Him who were basically just secular who became Christians. But there have been no, like, Jews, like actual Jews. Because remember what a Jew is. A Jew is ultimately somebody who's living in covenant. You say, well, I know my Messiah rabbi said he grew up Orthodox. No, he didn't. You don't even know him. I, I know. How much you want to bet? I'm going to win, so how much? Make it high. I'll tell you in five minutes. I didn't grow up Orthodox either, so don't, I'm not being braggadocious. I grew up super not Orthodox. I, I was, yeah, anyways. Joseph's sale turned out to be, Joseph's sale turned out to be the starting point for a great benefit. Joseph became the provider of nations as well as his own family. Now, the Torah teaches that good should be promoted by good people and that doers of meritorious deeds should themselves be worthy people. This is why Joseph's brothers had to be the originators of his sale. Let me read that again because you were like, you were thinking about Oneg. Let me read that again. Joseph's sale turned out to be the starting point. The question on the table is, why did we Jews have to betray our own brother? Why did we have to do it? Here's the answer. Joseph's sale turned out to be the starting point for a great benefit. Joseph became the provider of nations as well as his own family. Now the Torah teaches that good should be promoted by good people and that the doers of meritorious deeds should themselves be worthy people. This is why Joseph's brothers had to be the originators of the cell, for they were the most righteous of men at that time, despite the one sin which they committed in their lives. This is why it had to happen that way. In order for the nations to be saved, we had to be the first ones to make the cell because we had to be the ones who initiated the whole process. Isn't that crazy? This is the great paradox we've been talking about seemingly all year now, that God does things that seem to be completely contradictory to what we would think. We would think that the, to betray the Messiah needs to start with Esau, the most debased of all. No, God says, no, I need the betrayal to come from the most holy of all. Why? Because the sin offering is put on the most holy altar. And therefore, the most holy altar needs to reject it so that it'll go around to all the other unholy altars and bring them back to the holy altar. One final thing. There's a whole lot more I could share, but 
We'll come back to it. But here's the thing. They said, let us kill him. This is the deal. And we're going to come back and share a little bit more of this next week, Bezrat Hashem. But after everything, this is what Rabbi Monk brings down. Ma'am Lewez brings down the same thing. They betrayed him. They sat back and had lunch. They went down to their father. They watched their father crumble. And they watched, watched their father for 20 some odd years be a total wreck. No joy. Think how cruel that was. And by the way, they know that he's somewhere, somewhere out there. They, they, they didn't even go try to find him. Didn't try to even go find him. Why? They watched their father just be a mess. Didn't try to go find him. And even the sages bring down that even to the very day that they sat down in front of him, that they didn't recognize him and had dinner, they all felt like everything they had done was justified. It never occurred to them that what they did was evil until he revealed himself to them and said, Ani Yosef. So you think to yourself, well, how come Israel today, they're totally comfortable with the fact that they betrayed the Mashiach? Are you kidding me? The brothers, everybody was comfortable with it. They thought it was God's will, you understand. You say, why were they comfortable with it? Because they thought this was the will of God. Here's the thing. It was. Baruch Abba, Bashem, Adonai, 